You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. It is great to have you join us this morning. If I have the chance to meet you, my name is Nick. I'm the lead pastor here and uh, wearing my summary shirt this morning. And uh, some of you watching online, you're on vacation, maybe you're watching this later. Uh, why don't you post where you're watching from? And uh, for those of you here in person, why don't you turn to the person next to you, tell them your dream vacation this summer. Maybe you are actually going, maybe you wish you'd be going. Um, share with the person next to you, where do you want to go on vacation? Uh, I'll share you, our dream vacation this summer is Hawaii. Our real vacation is Erie. Um, so, you know, there's the real one and there's the one you want to go to. We'd love to go to the sandy beaches of Hawaii. We're going to find ourselves on the sandy beaches of Lake Erie. Um, that's what happens when you have four kids. You go to Lake Erie. Uh, so, uh, hope, hope you uh, are excited for this summer. It is awesome. My family got to go this weekend to the zoo and to Idlewild. And, like, we're ready to go. It's summertime. And uh, we haven't been to those two places in almost two years. So, it's nice to uh, get a little taste of summer again. And, uh, of course, the heat is here. Um, one last thing. For those watching online, we're going to be receiving communion at the end here. So if you can get your communion stuff ready, that would be awesome. Whatever that might be. If you've got saltines and uh, um, Mountain Dew, that'll, that'll do. So um, this morning, how many of you guys, when you were kids, uh, ever played the telephone game? Any of you guys ever played the telephone game? Telephone game. Some of you. Oh, there we go. Telephone game is a fun game. Uh, and if you're not familiar, if you're not familiar, I'm sorry, but it's a game basically where you whisper a phrase or sentence in someone's ear and then they share it to someone else and they're all the way down the line. And, and usually what you do is you try to kind of come find out um, uh, what, what it's like to uh, see how the word changes. Like how, how does it change down the line? How does it change from he, this, this uh, one, one um, basic phrase to the next, and before you get to the end, it's like, oh, this is a totally different sentence. It's a fun, fun game to play as a kid. One of the things I've learned, the more kid, people you have involved, of course, the more the phrase will change, the more the sentence will change. And you might start off with, I love, you know, I love uh, uh, no-bake cookies, and it ends up with, um, I hate broccoli or something. It changes. And that's how it works. Uh, now, over the years as a pastor, I've seen the same thing happen in different forms, from small groups to rumor mills that can operate in any group where, unfortunately, adults are still playing this game. And word gets back to me of all kinds of crazy rumors or ideas that are rarely even close to accurate. When I hear them, I usually say the same thing that we would all say in those situations. I tell the person, if you want to know the actual truth, you need to go to the source. You need to go to the source. That's really the only way to differentiate a rumor from the truth if you go to the actual source. Well, with all that has happened in our world this past year, there have been rumors swirling around our culture that maybe this is the end of the world. Maybe what we hear that's written about in the book of Revelation is actually happening. Maybe you've asked those questions. Maybe you've wondered those things. The problem is we also live in the most biblically illiterate culture in American history. People's understanding of what is actually in Scripture isn't based on what they've read or even what they've been taught. Uh, rather, it's usually based on what they've seen on TV or in the movies or maybe read online. And if, if statistics are accurate, that would mean that the large majority of us in this room or watching online probably don't have a completely accurate picture of what's actually contained in the book of Revelation. 
And that's not to say that there's something wrong with you, you're bad, or anything like that. Uh, it, it's just uh, the way, the way our, our culture, our world has gone. And, and it gives us an opportunity to kind of pull back the curtain and look at the source. Uh, let me explain it this way. In 1897, an English journalist from the New York Journal contacted Mark Twain. Uh, and it, he was trying to inquire whether or not the rumors that he was gravely ill or that he possibly passed away were true. Twain wrote a response, part of which made it into the article that ran almost 124 years ago on June 2nd, 1897. Here's a short excerpt of what was written in this response article. Mark Twain was undecided whether to be more amused or annoyed when a journal representative informed him today of the report in New York that he was dying in poverty in London. The great humorist, while not perhaps very robust, is in the best of health. He said, I can understand perfectly how the report of my illness got about. I have even heard on good authority that I was dead. James Ross Clemens, a cousin of mine, was seriously ill two or three weeks ago in London, but is well now. The report of my illness grew out of this, this, his illness. The report of my death was an exaggeration. Some have quoted Twain in this moment as saying, uh, in this encounter, the reports of my death were greatly exaggerated. And as we look at where our world is and where we are as a, as a culture and as a globe, uh, maybe the reports of our demise are greatly exaggerated. But how will we know? You know, is this what, is what we're experiencing really the end of the world as we know it? What, what is it? Uh, and, and these are all valid questions, and, and the only clear way to clear things up is to go to the source. So over the next four weeks, that's what we're going to do. Now, this series that we're walking through called Is This the End is a little more informational and teaching than it might be normally. So if you can stick with me here. Uh, this, this week, today, we're going to be talking about the end of the church. Next week, we're going to be talking about the end of restraint. Uh, and uh, then we're going to be talking about the end of silence, and then we're going to close out the month talking about the end of pain. Um, and, and to help continue the conversation, because uh, the book of Revelation, the end times, all that we're talking about brings up a whole lot of questions. Maybe you have questions already, we haven't even got started yet. What we're going to be doing is every Monday from 12 to 12.30 on your lunch break, if you're working during the day, uh, from 12 to 12.30 on our Facebook page, we're going to be broadcasting an interview uh, with experts in the field, different professors, scholars from around the country. We're going to be uh, bringing the questions you have. So if you text question to 724-860-8653, you can write that down so you don't forget. If you're here in person, grab an envelope or a piece of paper, write it down. If you're watching online, write it down. If you have a question... You can text the 724-860-8653, and every Monday from 12 to 12.30 throughout this month, we're going to be broadcasting that live discussion about the questions, about what we're talking about. We're going to go a little deeper. You can watch uh, live or, or come back and watch later uh, on Facebook. And uh, what I want to do this morning is dive in to the book of Revelation. And the Apostle John answers some of the questions we ask about, well, what's going to happen? Why is the book of Revelation even necessary? He answers some of those uh, in the opening statements of the book of Revelation, in this letter he wrote that became known as a book. Here's what it says in Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed. Can you say blessed? Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed. Can you say blessed again? 
Blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. What's John saying? He's saying, what I'm about to write in this letter is really important and you're gonna be blessed if you take it to heart. Not if you, you know, try to, to dissect it because uh, a lot of it's difficult to dissect, but you're blessed if you can live your life in the context of it. Now let me give you a little background on this book of Revelation. If you're not familiar with the Bible, the book of Revelation is the last book of the Bible. So if you have a printed Bible, and you open it up, and you go all the way to the back, it's the very last book. You don't have to like thumb through to find it. If you're on an app, I mean, of course, just go to Revelation. It's much easier. Um, but it's the last book of the Bible. And Revelation was written by John the Apostle, one of Christ's disciples, while he was on the island of Patmos, which was the Rome, Roman's version of Alcatraz. It was a, a hard labor colony where banished prisoners usually wasted away and died. They had tried to kill John on a number of different occasions, and they failed. Uh, if you read stories of history, uh, the Apostle John had uh, been tried to be lowered in a vat of boiling oil, and he survived it, and they tried so many times to kill John, and they couldn't kill him. He was like a modern-day Wolverine. Um, <clears throat> you can search that later, I guess. That's, my, that's, the, that's the extent of my, my understanding of uh, superheroes and Marvel. Is that Marvel? Okay. <clears throat> Looking to Scott, because Scott can, you know, give me the okay if I went into the wrong world. Um, but uh, they tried to kill John so many times. You know what they finally decided? The Romans, we can't kill him, we'll send him to Patmos. And he'll just waste away there. And that's where he went. He goes to Patmos. He's blinded. They gouge his eyes out. He can't even physically see. And ironically, as he's on the island of Patmos, this prisoner island, with his eyes gouged out, God gives him this vision. I mean, how amazing is that? The very thing that they took away from him, God gives him this vision of what the end is going to be like. And that's the book, or, or what it was a letter at the time, of Revelation. It was written about 60 years after Jesus' ascension and was intended to encourage the early church and respond to many of the questions they had about Christ's delayed return. They thought, it's been 60 years since Jesus rose again, ascended to heaven, and they thought Jesus was going to return like the next year or, or like right away. Now it's been six decades. Now we're 2,000 years later. And he was kind of giving some instruction. Hey, this is what's going to happen. Be calm. Don't get too worried. Some readers believe that Revelation describes events that took place in the first century. Some believe it describes church history over the last 2,000 years. And, and others believe it speaks of events yet to come. Now, when approaching this book, we have to understand its literary genre. It's apocalyptic. What that means, apocalyptic literature uh, is very symbolic, uh, uses a, a lot of, of pictures and imagery, and the use of symbolism and imagery were perhaps the only way to capture, convey a message about heaven in the future that John didn't even have the vocabulary to describe. I'll give you an example. If John saw a picture of fighter jets, how would he even describe it? They don't even have cars or electricity or like he didn't even have the vocabulary to describe what he's seeing so the only thing he can do is to compare it to something he does know that 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 he could explain uh, because of this uh, because of the symbolism the imagery that's used it's important to read the book of revelation in a way that you can engage the imagination while keeping both feet firmly planted on the concrete truths of scripture like, this isn't a book where we just go off and 
dream and make stuff up that doesn't actually exist. No, this is where we need to understand our imagination is, is, needs to be exercised, but also our feet need to be firmly planted in the truths of Scripture. Now, one of the more prominent topics of Revelation, and really the entire Bible, is Christ's second coming. His first coming happened in the first century and is recorded in all four of the Gospels. But, but there's a second coming as well when Christ will return for his church. And while we might assume Revelation is the only book addressing this, it's not actually the case. The, the rest of the Bible says a whole lot about Christ's return or, or what the church has referred to over the last 2,000 years as the rapture. Author Tim LaHaye says it this way, Christ's return is mentioned 329 times in the Bible, second only to the doctrine of salvation. That's a lot. Only four of the 27 New Testament books, which if you're not familiar, the Old Testament is the first part of the Bible, New Testament is the second part of the Bible. Only four of the 27 New Testament books do not contain a direct mention of Christ's return. The book of Galatians, Philemon, and second and third, John. If Christ fails to return, then his personal prophetic predictions are made false and, and, and understandably his claim to divinity is nullified. Now, this is really important. There's a lot hanging on uh, this prophecy. Now, here's a sampling of some of the promises from Scripture of Christ's return located throughout uh, other parts of the New Testament outside of the book of Revelation. In, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 30, it says, At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. In the, in the book of Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, it says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In 1 Thessalonians 3.13, it says, May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. And we could go on and on and on. There are a lot of references of Christ's second coming in the New Testament. The bottom line is we can absolutely be certain that Christ will one day return. One day he's coming back. In some church circles, this is referred to as the blessed hope. It's called this because as followers of Jesus, we view the end in a, in a very different way than the rest of the world does. Now, I don't know if you've watched movies like, you know, where the end is coming and the sky is falling, aliens are invading, everything's going uh, south, it's going to be really bad, and, and we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, we think of that, the end of the world, with such dark mindset. We, when you just hear someone say the end of the world, you get scared. You know, really in any context, it sounds menacing, frightening. It's something we don't want, we want to avoid. But it doesn't need to be that way. See, there's a hope that can be present about the end for those that are following Jesus that seems almost odd or out of place to the rest of the world. Because we view the end in a completely different way. I don't know if you've ever uh, done this, but you know, you're going on a trip with maybe your kids or family members and you're going somewhere they've never been before and it's miserable and they're screaming and crying and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and, and you're like, I know this is so long. I know you hate being trapped in a car, but you'll be worth it. When I was a kid, my family, we drove to Daytona Beach for the very first time and my sister and I were real little. My mom had us in our matching outfits because she was really good at that, you know, matching us, which would be embarrassing today, but when we were kids, you know, you'd get away with it, and we're, we're driving. It took us like two or three days, and we had a little Renault Alliance, which was this really tiny car, and I have my sister in the back seat, and we have our line in the middle of the, the seat that we can't cross, and as a big brother, it was my duty to make sure I crossed that line as often and frequently as possible, um, 
and we got yelled at. I mean, it was quite a trip. And I remember so many times saying, Mom, I hate this. Why are we driving? This is taking forever. And they kept saying, it'll be worth it. Trust me, when we get there, you're going to love it. It's going to be worth it. And we hated it. And then we finally get to the ocean. And I remember running out in the ocean. Like, it was the coolest thing ever. When you know where you're going, when you know the end, everything that leads up to it is manageable. And, and what, what, what concerns me, deeply concerns me, as followers of Jesus, is to hear and see people say things and get worked up about current circumstances, like everything is caving in, we're all in trouble. It's like saying, I don't like the drive, forgetting that we're going to the beach. As followers of Jesus, I understand if if, if, if we, you know, are uncomfortable, things aren't the way we want and things are difficult, I understand it's natural human response that we get worked up about it. And, but remember, we know the end. We know the end of the story. That's what we're talking about this month, the end of the story. And, and we respond in a vastly different way than the rest of the world does. We should at least. We shouldn't be the ones sounding the fire alarms like, oh, it's going to be the end of the world. This is the worst thing ever. It's, it's horrible. The sky is falling. No, the end is good for us. The end is a good thing. It's not something we get worked up about. It's not something we're concerned about. It's not something we have to stress about. Because the end, the end is what we're longing for. It's why it's called the blessed hope. <laughs> not not the, the horrible ending. It's the blessed hope. And, and that's what we want to look at today. This is really the big idea, that the end of the church is the hope of the world. The end of the church is the hope of the world. I know that sounds crazy. The end of the church sounds like such a horrible thing, like the death of the church. No, the end of the church means that the blessed hope has arrived. It's the hope of the world. It's the thing that we're striving for. And why is it the hope? Because it's a reminder that there is something beyond our current reality. Whether you're wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, whether your family is sick or not sick, whether your finances are great or not great, uh, the, the, the idea that there is hope that Christ is returning one day reminds us that there is something beyond what we currently are experiencing, what we're walking through, what we're, what we're dealing with. There, there's, there's something more. As human beings, we will always struggle through life until we can adopt an eternal perspective. Like our life is finite. There's a beginning and end. There's a moment when you're born and a moment when you die. And in 2019 was such a whirlwind of a year for me in a lot of ways, personally. January 1st of that year, New Year's Day, we had our son, Lucas. He was born New Year's Day, New Year's baby. November 22nd, right before Thanksgiving, my dad would pass away in the exact same hospital. And it was such a whirlwind of a year. And you see the, how finite, how limited our lives are. There's a beginning and there's an end. And if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you see King Solomon muse on and on about how sometimes meaningless it all seems. The finite nature of our human existence can seem so pointless sometimes until we recognize there's more. Don't you love those commercials? For two you know, payments of $19.95, you can have this pencil with an eraser. But wait, there's more. You get a pencil sharpener too. Yes. 
And this is what God's trying to communicate to us in the book of Revelation. But wait, there's more, what you're walking through. And, and understand, John was writing this to a church that was persecuted. They were experiencing significant pain and imprisonment for their faith in Jesus, for proclaiming their faith in Jesus. And he's saying, guys, you can make it. There's more. There's, there's more. You need to have an eternal perspective. In other words, what we experience here on earth is only a fraction of what God ultimately has for us throughout all of eternity. Now, this whole concept of the end and, and, and Christ's return, his second coming, uh, can, can bring a lot of questions, and, and the not knowing is often what brings the worry or fear of this idea of the end. So, so what I want to do these next few moments is just walk through some questions maybe you've asked or others have asked about what this is going to look like. And the first one is, what will it be like to be taken? What, what will it be like when, when Christ returns? First of all, be aware that uh, just like the word Trinity, the word rapture doesn't actually uh, appear in Scripture. Uh, the idea of a rapture event being caught up is clearly articulated mo multiple times, numerous times throughout Scripture, uh, but the word rapture isn't actually in the Bible. So what does the word rapture mean? The word rapture comes from the Latin word rapio, and it literally means to be caught up. So the concept is there. And the original Greek used in 1 Thessalonians 4.16 to talk about this uh, reads as caught up in the NIV. It's, that word is harpezo, and it means to seize away or snatch up, that Christ is going to seize us away, remove us from this earth. And here's how the scripture describes this event that we refer to today as the rapture. Here's two passages, one in 1 Corinthians, one in 1 Thessalonians. I want to read. 1, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50 says, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. <clears throat> Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable will clothe itself with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. That sounds so exciting. My goodness. And then verse Thessalonians 4, starting verse 13, it says, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. In verse 15, or verse 16, it says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Now, there's a number of things we see uh, about this second coming of Christ that I want to highlight here briefly uh, that, that are important for us to understand. One, the Lord will descend from his Father's house. We see that in 1 Thessalonians 4. Uh, also, his coming will be announced by word and by sound, by both of those. This will happen very quickly. It says in the twinkling of an eye. If you're not familiar with how fast it is, it's 300 milliseconds. That's really quick. You know, if you blink, you can miss it. Um, sometimes with my toddler, if I blink, I feel like I've missed something, and, you know, disaster ensues in front of me. Uh, this will be even faster than a two-year-old uh, with uh, a candy bar in his hand, which my son is super fast with a candy bar in his hand. Um, this is going to happen quickly. It's what, what Paul's trying to convey in First Thessalonians, or First Corinthians. Uh, the dead in Christ will rise first. Uh, those who remain alive and are in Christ will rise next. We will be changed Receiving our glorified bodies. This is what's remarkable is all of the aches and pains that you deal with, that you walk through. We get glorified bodies. You see, Christ had his glorified body after his resurrection. 
He, he, space and time were not uh, the same for him. He was able to walk from one room into the next without a doorway. He, he had a glorified body. It was a different context. That's what we receive. Christ will receive us and lead us to the Father's house. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, it says, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Eternity begins. Now, be aware that in this second coming, different from Christ being born to Mary and Joseph in the first century, we know we celebrate Christmas, Christ will never actually step foot on earth in the second coming. So uh, when, when's this going to happen? Question is, when, when's this going to happen? Uh, the truth is we don't know. Now, there was an author in the 80s and 90s. His name was Ed- Edgar Wisenhunt, Wisenant. He had a bunch of predictions about when Christ's return was going to happen. And if you want to go read some really good books, he's got some, you know, really, really great uh, bestsellers. Here's the first one. 88 reasons why the rapture will be in 1988. He had 88 really great reasons. Um, we're all still here, right? I don't know if you're still here. We're all still here. So he came out with a sequel. The final shout, rapture report in 1989. Um, that didn't happen. So he came out with 23 reasons why a pre-tribulation rapture looks like it will occur on Rosh Hashanah in 1993. And then his final one to finish the, uh, I don't know what you call it, four, trilogy, quadrilogy. Is that, is that a word? Um, and now the Earth's destruction by fire, nuclear bomb fire prediction for 1994. He had all these books that he put out, all these predictions, none of them came to pass. Why? Because we don't know. And, and can I tell you just honestly, on TV, Christian television especially, there are a lot of people who can predict that this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. When you talk about the book of Revelation, remember, we're talking about something that's symbolic. There's a lot of imagery. We don't know. When, can you guys say that with me? We don't know. Isn't that freeing? We don't know. Today, try saying that to your spouse. We don't know. It feels good. Um, unless, unless it's something you should know, then don't do that. That might be bad. But we don't know. Like, like uh, Edgar, uh, wasn't it? He, he tried to predict something we don't know. So when's this going to happen? We're not sure. We're not sure. Anyone that predicts they know for certain, keep a distance. You need to be cautious because we don't know. Um, what we do know, the rapture is going to be a surprise. It's going to be unexpected. In, in Matthew chapter 24, it says, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. No one knows. Even Jesus himself doesn't know. Second Peter 3.10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Remember, generally, a thief sneaks in and out without being detected. We don't know. Now, there's three main views of the timing of the rapture. One is called pre-tribulation meaning the rapture of the saints will occur just on the onset of the tribulation. Now, you're like, what's the tribulation? We will get to that in future weeks. But it's a time of turmoil of seven years where uh, there's incredible pain, difficulty, struggle. So one view is pre-tribulation, that Christ will return for his church before any of that happens. Another view is mid-tribulation, that the rapture will occur at the midpoint of the tribulation, three and a half years into it of those seven, uh, seven years. Uh, the last one is post-tribulation. The rapture will occur right at the end of the tribulation, just before the battle of Armageddon. Now, these last two views of the rapture, mid-tribulation and post-trib, m- would make this event easily predictable and would thereby uh, not be much of a surprise, right? So what do I believe? 
What do I believe? I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture for a number of reasons, but one of them is it's in Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 10, Paul says this. They, t- they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So you see him talking about he's rescuing us from the coming wrath. And later in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, it says, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The tribulation is God's wrath being poured out on the earth. That Pastor Lance is going to be talking about more next Sunday. But the tribulation is a difficult time. But as followers of Jesus, when would happen? Honestly, my feeling is pre-tribulation, but we don't know. We don't know. And we'll talk about this in a minute, but what that means is we just need to be ready. So uh, what, what, what are we going to be raptured from? What are we taken from? Sorry, pardon the grammar on that. Uh, Revelation 21.4 says, we're going to be raptured from death and mourning and crying and pain. The old order of things has passed. Uh, we're going to be raptured from loneliness and depression and sadness and financial woes and divorce and murder and abuse of all kinds, conflict, war, broken relationships. Those are just a few things. We're being raptured from the pain of this world. And, and you can stay tuned for the next few weeks, weeks two, three, and four, we talk about the end of restraint, the end of silence, the end of pain, and we kind of dive into that a little bit more. Well, well, the question is, what are we taking to? What are we going to? And there's a bunch of things that, that Scripture, especially the book of Revelation, talks about heaven, where we're going, what we're taking to. First is a door. Author Warren uh, Wearsby says this, God will one day open the door to heaven. The trumpet will sound, and God's people will be called to heaven. Meanwhile, we must take advantage of the open door of service he gives us, that we get to be taken to a door, an entryway into heaven. A throne, the second thing. In, in Revelation 4, it says, At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. They, these are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. We're taken to this beautiful throne, the throne of God. We're taken to a rainbow. In Revelation 4, 3, it says, a rainbow resembling an emerald circle, encircled the throne. Author Warren Wearsby says this, the emerald rainbow is around the throne, a complete circle and not just an arc. On earth, we see the rainbow after the storm, but John saw it before the storm of judgment came. God gives his people this, his gracious promise that they need not fear the coming storm. Also a choir. Revelation 4, verse 6 says, In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third was, had a face like a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of these four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under those wings. Sounds like a pretty crazy picture, doesn't it? You're like, what did I come into? Uh, and, and it says, day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Man, what an incredible picture. Can I tell you, if you want to see heaven on earth, this is one of the best ways to experience heaven here on earth. 
is worship. It's to just take time to worship. We're going to do that in a minute. And, and so the question is, if, if the end of the church, as the worship team comes this morning, if the end of the church is the hope of the world, well, what are we supposed to do? What does that, you know, this is all good information, you know, Nick, and I, I appreciate you, you know, doing this research and sharing all this and all that, yada, 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 but what, what am I supposed to do with this? What, what do I do with all this information? There's a few things I want to share with you that I think are important. One is we should be ready. Proverbs, or Matthew chapter 24, verse 44, it says, So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Be ready. Does that mean that you need to like hoard as much canned food in your basement and keep your ammo uh, you know, full and you know, be ready at any... No, no, no. Like Christ's return isn't a, a battle or a war. We just need to be ready spiritually. Like, is your heart ready? You know, we sang a song earlier, It Is Well With My Soul. Such a powerful statement. Is it well with your soul? Being ready. Being ready isn't about the physical, tangible things. Being ready is about the internal, spiritual things. Is your heart in the right place with God? Not something to be afraid of. It's something to be aware of. I need to be prepared. You need to be prepared. Number one, we need to be ready. Be ready. Number two, we need to be holy. I think this is important for us as followers of Jesus. Maybe you're here or watching online and you're not a follower of Jesus. This isn't directly to you. This is for those who have committed their life to Jesus. We need to be holy. We need to be holy. It's time as a church, it's time as followers of Jesus that we start living our lives based on biblical standard. Not, not just based on what feels right, or what looks right, or what sounds right, or what is acceptable. But we need to be holy. 2 Peter 3.14, the Apostle Peter writes this, So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. We must continually set our minds on Christ, that we might be renewed in our thinking and transformed in our lives. When we look at the second coming of Christ, we need to do it in the context of, I need to make sure my life is right. Not just, I need to be ready spiritually. I need to be ready in my life. Am I living a holy life? Number three, so we need to be ready. We need to be holy. Number three, we need to be hopeful. Titus 2, verse 13 says, while we wait for the blessed hope. There it is, the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our God and Savior. We need to be hopeful. We don't need to be afraid. You know, if another pandemic comes, hopefully not. When there's wars and rumors of wars, when there's turmoil, financial uh, uh, turmoil in our world, Things are seemingly falling apart at the seams. How do we respond as followers of Jesus? With hope. Not, not a blind hope. A hope that is grounded in Scripture. Christ is returning one day. And the fourth thing is we need to be encouraged. 1 Thessalonians 4.18 says, Therefore, encourage each other with these words. We should be encouraged. The end sounds like a dark, menacing idea. But as we follow Jesus... It doesn't need to be. We can be encouraged. We can be hopeful. And, and maybe this morning you're here, you're watching online, and you're like, man, I've, I'm, I'm scared to death. I, I wouldn't consider myself a follower of Jesus. I, I don't know where I'm gonna go. I don't know what's going on in my life. I've messed up my life so many times. I don't think God could ever love me. I think I've kind of uh, disqualified myself. Can I tell you, the man that wrote most of those verses I read, his name was Paul, the Apostle Paul did everything in his power to disqualify himself. 
And Jesus loved him enough to forgive him. And he got his life straight. He got him on the right path. He walked in that holiness that Peter wrote about. And maybe you're here and you say, Nick, I, I don't know if, if that's for me. Today's a day where you can say, you know what? I want to make sure I'm right with God. I want to be ready. Now we're going to pray here in a minute. If you're here, you're watching online, you're like, man, Nick, I, I want to begin this journey. What does that journey mean? That means that you put one foot in front of the other. The Bible says that, that his word is a light unto our path, a lamp unto our feet. You might not know how the path goes. You know the end, but you know the next step. And for some of us, the next step is to say, you know what? I want to experience Christ's forgiveness in my past, that he can wash that as white as snow, as the Bible says. And I want to step into his purpose for my life. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your love and your grace. God, I thank you that we get to, to dive into this book, the book of Revelation, and look at the end, take a glimpse at the end. God, I thank you that the end is hopeful. It's not something we have to be fear, afraid of, worried about, or anxious about. God, I pray for those that are here this morning that don't know you, that have never committed their life to Jesus, have never experienced your forgiveness, have never stepped toward your purpose. They're trying to make it through life on their own. I pray today that today is a different day for them. As you're continuing to pray this morning, if that's you and you're saying, Nick, I, I want to I begin that journey with Christ. I want to begin following Jesus as, as, as we read about in Scripture. And then I'm going to count the three. I'm just going to ask you to reach your hand toward heaven as a physical act of that decision. And we're going to pray together collectively. If that's you, on the count of three, one, two, three. Just reach your hand toward heaven this morning. For those online, amen. Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? You can put your hands down. I'm gonna ask everyone just to pray this prayer with me together. It's not a magic prayer or anything like that. It's really just a conversation with God that I wanna lead you in. And my hope is that this would be the first of many, many conversations you have with him. Would you all pray this prayer with me together? Dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for not giving up on me. Today, I commit my life to you. I commit to follow your purposes, your plans for my life. I accept your forgiveness through Jesus. And I commit my life for your glory, for your end goal. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer, well, you raised your hand or not, and you're like, man, I want to I make this thing right. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. You can, you can go online to connect.calvaryirwin.com, click the tab that says, I'm committing my life to Jesus, and fill that out. We want to get some resources in your hand, or you can stop by the Connection Center, or we want to get, get some stuff into your hand to help you continue that journey. This isn't uh, a momentary decision. It's a journey. And, and this morning, uh, for those of you in person, those watching online, we're going to be receiving communion. And I think this is such a powerful opportunity to receive communion. Because uh, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 writes about communion. And, and when he writes about communion, he talks a lot about remembering. Do you guys like to remember? Sometimes we like to remember. When we remember, we think back. Think back to the way things used to be. The good old days when we were kids. Uh, you know, the, the good old days when, when uh, you know, pre-pandemic, when you could do all kinds of things. The good old day, we remember. And, and Paul writes about doing communion, celebrating communion in remembrance. But at the end of it, he says, do this in, until Christ returns. And here's what's awesome about following Jesus. This is what I love about following Jesus, about Christian faith, is we find ourselves in between the past and the future. 
We don't live our lives with the, our eyes in the rearview mirror of like what was and what, what happened. No, we live our, eyes, our lives with our eyes forward toward that blessed hope. Understanding what was in the past, but looking to the future. And communion is a bridge between the past and the future. Look what Christ did in my life. He died for me. He gave his life for me. He gave everything for me so that I could be forgiven. He paid the price for my sin, for my mistakes that I was undeserving of. He did that. But why did he do that? Not so we can look back and just remember, but so we can look forward to what is yet to come. That there is an eternity with God that we can now possess. Because Christ paid the price and one day we'll walk through that door into heaven and spend eternity with him. That's what's awesome about communion is we take these elements together, the, the wafer and the cup. I want to pray here in a minute. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus prays this prayer. It's the Lord's prayer. Maybe you've heard it, prayed at different uh, services or funerals. And one part of that Lord's prayer says, uh, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And don't you want to see heaven come to earth? We have an opportunity as we pray this morning to welcome heaven to earth. Because what happens in heaven, sickness is gone. Turmoil is gone. God can begin to do that and restore and redeem a broken world through us. Maybe physically in your body, maybe spiritually through you as you impact someone with the gospel. Let's pray this morning over these elements before we receive them. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the sacrifice you made 2,000 years ago on the cross. Lord, that we get to remember and celebrate. God, I pray that you not let us become followers of Jesus, Christians who, who simply look back, but we look forward to the blessed hope that you are coming, Lord, that there is an eternity. God, that what we experience is only a, a glimpse, a portion of what you have in store for us, Lord. God, let us live our lives with an eternal perspective of all that you can and will do. Thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice that made this possible. Thank you for your body that was broken, your blood that was shed for us. God, I pray and invite heaven to earth this morning. Lord, that you would bring healing and wholeness. God, you would allow us to be part of the redemption, the restoration of a broken world. Thank you, Lord, for using us, the privilege of being used by you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You can receive those elements this morning. Before we go, I want to practice for heaven a little bit. Can we do that? You guys game for that? We're going to take a moment here and just worship. If you can stand with me. People ask, I've had asked a lot, what's heaven going to be like? What's it going to be like? Are we going to all be like white robes? Are we going to get wings? How big is the mansion going to be that I live in? What's it like to walk on streets of gold? Can I tell you, just to be honest, I have absolutely no idea. I haven't been to heaven. All I know is I trust God, and God is good, and God has prepared something good for us. What I do know about heaven is that we have an opportunity to worship, and we don't have to wait. We don't have to wait for heaven. We have an opportunity to do that today. So I know we got a lot of things happening today and different things maybe on your schedule. Let's just take a few moments here and pause, turn our faces toward heaven, and worship him. If you could just lift your hands and close your eyes with me this morning. Lord, we thank you. 
for worship. We thank you for the opportunity to experience heaven here on earth, Lord. Lord, these few moments, I pray that your presence would meet us here, change us and transform us, empower us and equip us. God, that we can live our lives with that eternal perspective this morning. Thank you, Lord. You know what's remarkable about this faith that we hold to in Jesus? When you look at the major religions of the world, all the major religions of the world have basically settled in different regions of the world, and they've stayed there for their entire existence, whether it's Buddhism or Hinduism, Islam. It basically, in the place where it originated, it remained, and still to this day remains predominantly. Christianity is different. It has changed. Not, not the faith changed, but it has moved from culture to culture. The face of Christianity has, has been based in Western Europe and in, in the Middle East and, and in America. And, and today I'd say the face of, 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 the, of Christianity is more Latin American and African than anything. What's remarkable about following Jesus and this faith that we hold to is it transcends all culture and time. And the God that we worship, the God that we serve, the God that we sing about, transcends it all, whether you're young or old, rich or poor, regardless of your background or upbringing. Christ loves you and cares so much about you. And not only you, but your coworker and the cubicle next to you, or I guess in today's day and age, in the box next to you on that Zoom call. Like, God loves them just as much. And I want to challenge you when we live with an eternal perspective, we can do so with the idea of, well, okay, I can make it. I can make it through what I'm walking through, and, and that's all we do. But I don't want to push you to take a step beyond that. If we live with an eternal perspective, we want to do everything in our power with the resources we have and the opportunities we're given to make sure we can take as many people to eternity with us. That that, that coworker, that friend, that family member doesn't spend an eternity apart from God. Eternal perspective puts a lot in perspective. I want to encourage you and challenge you throughout this week to not just go through the motions of your job, but to remember that at the end of the church is the hope of the world. There's a hope that we hold to. Share it. Let it be contagious. Be willing to share that with those you come in contact with. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. I thank you for your promises. Jesus, I thank you that we serve a God that transcends all all cultures and time, all, all backgrounds and upbringings, Lord. You transcend it all. Thank you, God, that we can worship you today in this place just as we will one day around your throne. God, I pray you would empower us with boldness, courage, and most importantly, opportunity. Lord, to share the hope, to share the hope that we hold to, to be ready, as your word says, to answer for the hope that we profess and hold to. God, throughout this week at work or school or grocery store, wherever we, we interact with people online or in person, God, let us be willing to be ready to share the hope that we hold to. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together and worship you. Lord, we don't take it for granted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. 
On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 